Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Aimed in towards Archer! That's a fabulous header! Once again, the Titans, but it's the flick on. Gather round villains and welcome to this week's episode of Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com and sponsored now once again by Manscaped. We're now 10 games in and the gloom has well and truly set in this season, compounded by yet another defeat at Villa Park on Sunday. So we'll be dissecting all the issues and looking ahead to a really pivotal week for the boss, Stephen Gerrard. I'm your host, Andy, trying to get my words out. And in the absence today of Craig and Dan, uh, who are otherwise indisposed, I'm delighted to be joined once again by the boss, Regan, welcome back. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. It's been a while. Uh, it's been nearly two years, I think, since I last stepped foot on the pod. You know, I've been here in the background um, helping the guys whenever I can, but uh, first time behind the mic in, in quite some time. Yeah, it's great to have you. Great to have you back on. And it's a bit of a switch of roles because last time you were on, you were the you were the man asking the questions. So uh, it'd be good to um, to find out a bit more about how you how you're seeing things um, so far this season, um, and you know what your take on and everything that's going on really. So um, welcome back. Thank you very much. I think I think the way that I'm feeling is probably the way that everyone else is feeling, to be honest. Um, but you never know. I might have the odd snippet of information or the odd opinion that's a bit bit out there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll start with the the team selection. It was um, obviously Chelsea um, at Villa Park on Sunday afternoon. Um, not much uh, anticipation really for for any kind of uh, result in this one, but an interesting team selection as um, Leon Bailey and Danny Ings came back in to replace Coutinho and Buendia in the starting lineup. Louise McGinn and, and Ramsey all kept their places. Louise obviously on the back of the um, the new contract which was signed last week um, on Friday. Actually, that that was announced. Um, Cameron Archer um, also didn't make the bench as kind of we expected. I think Gerard had signposted um, in the press conference that he is struggling with a, a groin injury which needs to be managed um, before he can have have surgery on that. Um, but the front three seems, seems to kind of change every week. I think this is the first time this particular front three have, have started together. Um, what's your take on, on this area of the team? Um, and why is why is it not really clicking? Nothing seems to be working. And is it purely an issue with the attackers? I think first and foremost, this is probably my favourite front three that I've seen um, in quite some time. You know, Watkins uh, at Brentford before before we signed him started as you know that left kind of winger cutting in. Um, I think that's his natural position and. I think a lot of people when we signed Danny Ings maybe expected him to like regress back into that role. Um 
so rather than playing two up top, we thought maybe Watkins would go out wide left, um, especially with losing Jack, and and we'd have Bailey wide right. Um, and you know, looking at it, it looked it looked good. We had speed, we had width, and that's something we've been lacking under Gerard. You know, his formation and his style is very narrow, and it obviously hasn't been working. Um, but I think I think the issue isn't the attackers. I think regardless of who we're going to be playing in that front three, whether it's you know Coutinho or Buendia or Bailey or a mix of you know whoever, I think it's the midfield behind them that is is causing the issues. Um, you know, we, we you, Louise is going to keep his place week after week, and Louise I would say probably isn't the problem. Um, you know, Kamara's injured. Eric Bonham's out on loan. We have no defensive midfielder because apparently marvellous Nakamba has ceased to exist. Um, so Louise is going to play week in, week out, or unless he gets an injury. Um, I think Ramsey's probably not too much of a problem either. I think he offers something that that McGinn used to offer us, and that's the outlet for midfield. That kind of he gets the ball, he looks up and he starts running with it. I think the issue at the moment is John McGinn and I'm sure we'll delve more into him um, later. But the the front, the the midfield three that we're using at the moment is causing problems for that front three. Um, but I think the front three are taking all the flack at the moment. And, you know, they deserve some of it. Like Coutinho has been, has been woeful in terms of his form for the last what 20 odd games and he's got like one goal involvement um but yeah i think i think the issue lies deeper than just our our attackers are struggling yeah i think i think this is it as uh, you know we've talked a lot on here and i've heard on on all sorts of other outlets about the problems that are created by having the narrow front three um and i think really um you know, we're perhaps a little bit, and maybe Gerard is a, is a little bit. Um, he's very eager to, to to make it work because, I guess, because it works at Liverpool. You know, they, they that this is similar to how how Liverpool set up um, with the narrow front three. The difference is that they have, you know, or have had uh, in years gone by, in the recent years, a really, really solid and controlling central midfield with um, Fabinho, obviously Henderson, Thiago, players like this that, that, that control the control the games in midfield, plus the, obviously the Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Robertson at the full-backs who, who basically play as wingers. Um, Villa don't have this this luxury to be able to to, to do that and to, and to get the most out of a narrow front three. Um they can't go through teams. Teams just ha- happily will sit and, and, and block that up. Um, and like against Forest, it was, and we've seen other times last season where Buendia and Coutinho play in those kind of number 10 positions behind Watkins. There's absolutely no, there's no pace there's, and there's no way through really. You are looking for or waiting for something miraculous to happen. And any team worth their salt at this level will just block it all off um, with a with a low to mid block and just and just and just stop the balls going through. Um, and if you haven't got that option that someone like Bailey or Watkins gives you to go round round the outside or into the channels, you 
you know, you're stuffed really, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, like, look, I watched I watched Liverpool City um, yesterday and the, the pace of that game was just so frantic and it is every time they play each other. They're obviously the two best sides, you know, generally speaking. Um, maybe not looking at the table this season so far, but generally they're the two best sides in the league um, and you can see it when they play each other. It is literally end to end to end. And you compare that to the, the pace at which Villa play and have played, you know, for years, you know, under Gerrard, under Smith, and it, there's just... There's no comparison between those two sides and and Villa, really. You know, the if if I kind of watched one on one monitor and one on the other, the Villa game would seem so much more lethargic. There's no, there's so much breathing space in in Villa's in Villa's style of play for other teams, whereas. City and Liverpool is all about suffocation and it's all about suffocating the opponent and, and obviously when, when you're seeing them play against each other they're trying to suffocate each other and it's this beautiful end-to-end entertainment um, but we don't see any of that with Villa there's there's no and you know I've said this before not on a podcast but I've said there's no real style or ethos or anything to Villa there's no pace there's no pressing there's no anything there's there's no kind of identity and that does that isn't helped by the fact that you know Gerard is chopping and changing constantly um and you know i you, you people say well we need we need a you know a proper number 9 or whatever like Danny Ings on his day is or you know maybe at least a couple of years ago was one of the best strikers in the league um we have that pace that you know Liverpool would have with Diaz and Salah. You know, I, I would argue Bailey and, and and Watkins are some of the faster players in the league. So why aren't we utilising them in the way that suits them? And I think that's something that has always been a Villa problem: is that we don't utilise players that in the way that they would want to be utilised. And I know that shouldn't always be the case. They should fit into a system. Um, but you know, we've never played to a player's strengths. Um, like Wesley springs to mind you know we, we never played to his strengths and as soon as we started playing to his strengths we saw him kind of grow into his own before he got injured um, but yeah I, I think I don't, I don't I'm lost for words a lot of the time watching Villa at the moment um, and obviously it's not it's not a fun thing to to be watching no it's not it's, and it, is, it does feel a little bit like that and you know we have to um we have to try and look look at things a little bit uh, objectively, I suppose, as as we go on. And I think it is worth making the point that we, you know, we are where we are for a reason, and we have we have the players we have for a reason as well. So, um, but um, it wasn't long um, really before, um, well, the the, the old uh, Craig's goal, Aston Villa goal giveaway club um, came into action again. Um, it was a Tyro Mings error, which, in very in fairness, we've not seen. Um, an awful lot of that from from Mings this season. He has been one of the better performers, um, certainly since he, um, he he lost the armband and and was brought back into the team after after Diego Carlos's injury. Um, but it was a it was a it was an ugly goal, wasn't it? It sort of he he seemed to misjudge the spin on the ball and 
it sort of looped up and, and Mount tucked it away quite quite neatly. Um, I think that's a goal he enjoyed in front of the whole tend as well after all the stick he got off uh, Villa fans before the last Euros um, uh, as we, we were sticking up for Grealish. Um, but did this kind of serve to remind us a little bit that uh, that Mings, for all his all his quality and all his all his class at times, and he's certainly been improved this season. That he still has this kind of rick in him, or is that unfair? I think it's quite unfair. I think I think a lot of players have a mistake in them, um, and I think you know. I think in hindsight, Gerard was probably right to take the captaincy off Mings, and it, it, it's done exactly what he thought it would do. And it's taken that pressure off him, and we're seeing less of the Mings that we're kind of used, we were used to seeing, and that's the someone that was trying a bit too hard and was making mistakes because of that. Um, I'd argue that Mings has probably been our best performer since the start of this season, or since he's come into the squad. Um, I think in a lot of games he's been imperious. He's been, he's he's had captain performances basically without the armband. Um, and I would argue that, you know, that McGinn perhaps isn't the right choice for captain, but um, I wouldn't give it back to Tyrone. I would I would give it to you know someone like Martinez or even Young if he's going to be playing for the you know the rest of the season. Um, I think taking it away from Mings has caused a lot of issues uh, in terms of the press and in terms of the fan base potentially um, but I think it's justified in how well he has been performing um, the mistake for this goal yeah you, like you said he's misjudged it um, he's misjudged the spin he's misjudged the height perhaps um, he's stretching to reach that ball even though he's you know six foot five um, and it happens um, could you argue that Martinez could have done better. Could you argue that um, you know Conser could have been more aware of what was happening? You know, whilst whilst Mings will get the vast majority of the blame, you can always add like you know little sprinkles, little little bits of flavour to to your ice cream of blame. Um, and you know, it's, there's going to be more than one person at fault, um, but Mings will take the vast majority of the brunt of it. Um, but no, I think you know he's been he's been one of our best performers this season, and uh, I think it's unfair with with fans tarring him with that kind of brush that he was tarred with so often last season. Yeah, in, in fairness, I'm I'm not sure I've seen. I don't know about you, Regan, but I, I'm not sure I've seen an awful lot of um, negativity towards him for this goal. I think people have generally recognised that he has stepped up this season when when a lot of other players perhaps haven't and. You know he has. He could have. He could have got gone into a massive salt, couldn't he? And he could have asked to leave the club. He could have. There could have been any number of um, worse situations that that could have happened. Um, but he just kept doing his job. You know, came back into the side. As you know, it's pre- predictable almost <laughs> that one of our big signings, if or two of them, were going to get get serious injuries. And um, he, he, he's he's come back in and he's just. He's almost gone up a level, I think. He's always performed well for Villa, I think, and he's always, you know, given everything to the club. But I feel like his quality has gone up a level, which is, it feels strange to say in a side that that perhaps, you know, have conceded 
some easy goals. Um, but I, 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 what I'm seeing from Mings is what what I expect from you know the the player we signed, you know, sort of three years ago. Yeah, I mean, like look at when he first broke into the England squad. We were hanging around the relegation zone, and I I wouldn't be too surprised to to see him go to Qatar in the way that he's currently playing. Um, I thought, like I said, I think he's been our best player, and I think he he you know he was dropped from the England squad because of the whole the whole situation with with losing the captaincy and maybe like a lack of confidence and um you know Southgate said that there were just you know players just just ahead of him at the moment um but I would argue you know ahead of ahead of the the England squad selection that his name should certainly be in the heart I don't know whether he'll be on the plane or not but he should be in contention for it um no absolutely that's as much to do with his his England form He's never let England down, has he? And he's always fronted up. Um, and I think, you know, another another thing worth noting, he was he was the last the last player off the pitch. Um, you know, after a, you know a, a disappointing defeat, you know, to compound a lot of the a lot of the misery around the club. Um, you know, he stayed and he made sure he, he clapped all the fans that that remained. They they were booed. The team was booed, or the manager was booed. <laughs> I think more more to the point. Um, but you know that some of these players, you know, are are firm favourites. And I think I think Tyrone's back in the, you know, back in the good books as far as the majority of Villa fans are concerned. And like I say, there wasn't an awful lot of negativity towards him specifically. Whereas I think twelve months ago there would have been. Yeah, I think there's there's always seems to be like a select handful of people on on Twitter that are just kind of anti Mings or you know anti a specific player. Um, you know, we saw it last season with like Buendia. Um, you know, there was calls constantly for him to be playing when he was on the bench, and there was there was like a pro Buendia brigade and an anti Buendia brigade, which is a bit of a, a tongue twister in itself. But <laughs> you know, there's there's that for Mings, um, and it's it's been less often now. But you know, as soon as he makes a mistake, it, they they do pop out the woodwork a little bit, um, and you know, it's easy for. You know, I've seen one before. Before we went, uh, before we started recording tonight, that it's easy kind of click, um, clickbait for for bigger accounts, kind of taking the piss out of certain players for making mistakes, and it's just you know, it's uh, it's like trying to get likes and retweets and stuff like that. It's 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 what social media is nowadays, isn't it? Um, at the detriment of either Villa or some of our players. Yeah, we we used to actually have to boo players individually <laughs> if we wanted them to know what we thought of them, um, which happened to one or two Villa players um, over the years. But yeah, now they obviously they just get the um, the, the negative stuff on on social media, which is probably easier to for them to to actually deal with. Um, I don't know, but um, I think uh, yeah, I mean, like I say. Bad goal to concede, but I think I think it's more it's a bigger issue than than just just Tyrone Mings and um, but the second goal the second goal really wasn't wasn't much better um, a free kick from Mount it, it, it was really poor from Martinez it was qu- it's quite hard to fathom what actually happened it looked like it maybe taken a deflection but I don't think I don't think it did I can't 
I couldn't make out a deflection. Um, but Martinez just just totally misjudged the the flight of the ball. Um, and uh, I mean, really, this 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 killed Villa off, didn't it? Twenty twenty odd minutes to go, I think, and even then, the fact the fans were starting to leave the ground. There was a bit of uh, negativity, and it felt like the the, the team kind of stopped. Um, but there just there does seem to be this this resignation at the moment, doesn't there, amongst the fans and the players? You know, two 0 down, still time to to get back into the game. Um, but there was no real fight or no real expectation that that Villa would would manage to do that. And it was a really, I mean, jet really flat atmosphere throughout. I thought. Um, Minimal chanting towards Gerard. I think. Um, there were a few pockets um, of fans sort of chanting that. And obviously the Chelsea fans were, uh, were, were, were singing sacked in the morning, which you'd expect. They have, they have history with, with Gerard. Um, and there were, boo- there were boos at the end as well, um, which, I, again, I felt was pr- probably more directed to the manager as the, you know, the players that approached the whole end afterwards were all, were all given... Um, you know, a round of applause. Um, but what do you make of, of of the negativity at the moment at, at Villa Park? And is it is it purely the manager, or is there just that this lack, this disconnect that people talk about? I think it is predominantly the manager. Um, like you said, like people have still got a connection to to the players. Um, and you know, every every season we're kind of moving a step away from that kind of Dean Smith era of Aston Villa, where. You know, every player was lovable despite the fact that some of them weren't good enough. You know, Trezeguet, El Ghazi probably aren't, you know, top 10 Premier League players, which is where we want to be. Um, but they were loved and they were adored by the fans. And, um, you know, they might get the odd pelter at, at a game and and stuff like that. But, you know, they would be applauded for, for their efforts. Um, I think, you know... The squad's rapidly changing, and like I said, there's still there's still players that are absolutely adored from the Smith era. Um, there are players that are adored from the Gerrard era. Um, granted, the vast majority of them are currently out injured, but um, I think any kind of vitriol is purely towards the manager. Um, you know. You kind of you, you you don't see any players that that have caused the position that we're in at the moment. It's like a collective um, reason why we're there. Um, it's collective performances, and that whether that's because of tactics, whether that's because of where um, Gerard's taking us, I don't know. But it's it the, the team isn't getting blamed. It's it's Gerard that's getting the blame, and that's because our kind of transfer remit has changed. That's because our tactics have changed. That's because the games that we're playing in aren't entertaining. Um, it's because of the comments that Gerard makes in the press and in, in press conferences. And he's, he's very rapidly burnt his bridge with the Aston Villa fans. I think, um, I, I, w- I would be shocked if there's any bridge left, to be honest. I think a lot of fans just want him want him gone. Um, I would probably say four or five months ago, people wanted him gone. His bridge has probably been made out of matchsticks. Um, but, you know, I think in, in terms of 
the actual game. You know, Villa weren't bad. They didn't look they didn't look awful. They looked they looked okay. I wouldn't say they looked exceptional. Um but I, w- I was happy with what I saw for the the vast majority of the game until the second goal went in. Um I think you know Villa Villa had chances. Kepper was obviously on fire. Um I mean, Martinez uh, is worrying me a little bit recently, and I might get a bit of stick for this, but, um, you know, there was seven, eight months ago, Martinez was being linked as a replacement for Jan Oblak at Atletico Madrid, and we were quoted, like, you know, 70, 80 million for him. He's a good keeper. He's Argentina's number one, but I think think Martinez has been struggling for form recently. Um, There's been some questionable decisions from him, um, whether that's uh, it might just be kind of like recency bias from me maybe um, I'm I'm kind of craving the the kind of sexy dives and the cat like saves that we, we saw under Dean Smith and you know the, he kept so many clean sheets and I don't know it's just he could, he's not entirely to blame the defence is to blame as well but I, I Martinez has regressed for me a little bit Um and I think in terms of Mount's second goal, I don't think I think I don't think it was necessarily a hundred percent his fault. I don't think you could see. Um, it was that's how it seemed to me anyway. It kind of looks like he's kind of crouching to look f- through a gap that that isn't there, and he's kind of then wrong footed by the time Mount's taken that free kick, and he, he just can't scramble across his goal quick enough. It was it, it was really strange, and obviously seeing it from the other end of the ground, it it felt like. I mean, obviously, I I just assumed it had, it had maybe got some sort of deflection, although it wasn't obvious, because um, it that's how it seemed. But is is that not a is that not a a, a fault of his in the way he sort of set the wall up? If he's unsighted from a free kick, surely he should be able to see 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 where the ball's going as, when it leaves the the. the the taker's foot, surely. Mm, I'd, I'd need to take another look because obviously what we're seeing a lot of now is teams kind of making second walls and, and mm. you know, we don't know the tactics behind that. You know, it was only like last season or the season before that people started lying behind behind the walls. Um, but, you, you know, you've been seeing a lot of a lot of teams kind of doing secondary walls um off of you know a defensive wall and whether that's to to make things harder for the keeper to see or just generally kind of marshal plays in a specific direction I don't know but I'd, I'd probably need to take another look at at it but yeah potentially you know it, it could be that he's not set up his wall correctly it could be that Chelsea's kind of secondary wall has blocked his vision completely and he's kind of you know, I, I guess I guess there's only so much tinkering that a goalkeeper can do to a wall. You know, he can't be stood there all day saying, you know, move to your left, move to your left, or move, you know, ten paces back or whatever, because the free kick has to be taken at some point. Um, so who knows? I'd have to take another look, but um, I think it's maybe a bit more dark arts of Chelsea than yeah. Martinez's fault in in creating the wall. Yeah, it's funny though, isn't it? Because all the talk of um, set piece coach um, at Villa and all the rest of it, these seems these things seem to happen more to us than in our favour, don't they? <laughs> these kind of you know interest new and interesting ways of taking set pieces. We we often we're introduced to them um, against us more than with our team doing it. 
Yeah, and the, the you know the cameras always seem to cut to a bemused Austin McPhee looking at Gerard and Gerard kind of looking at him, going like, "Well, you know, this is your fault." Um, but I think I think you know I, I can't really say much in terms of what I've seen from. Austin McPhee being employed by the club other than uh, the discovery of Matty Cash's long throws early last season <laughs> um, other than that it's just kind of seemed like let's take long cross pitch balls towards Tyrone Mings hopefully he can rise higher than whoever is defending against him and he can head it back across the box there's no kind of like specialism there there's no you know where's you know the love train that England were doing you know a couple of years ago we want to see stuff like that I saw something on Twitter the other day of like people just running it was like a Brazilian game or something people running in circles and then darting off in different directions that's what Austin McPhee is employed to do not you know Matty Cash long throws and lump it forward to Tyrone Minx's head I want to see like special set piece routines I want people doing the worm before a corner something that something that looks in innovative and and interesting and it has to change it has to develop as well doesn't it you, you know because it's amazing how how differently already teams set up when Douglas Louise takes a corner you know he's he's stuck a couple in hasn't he direct early in the season um plus one in pre-season um so teams straight away, as soon as he's over the ball, they they set up in a different way defensively to to guard against that. And you've got to always be be innovating and trying to trying to try different things and drill different different routines and so on. But like you say, it it is just very very basic. I think what we're doing. I know that um, he is he is obviously it's it's a, he's a defensive. Um, coach as well from that respect so he's 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 there to um to help how we defend these things as these set pieces as well but um <laughs> i mean i try not to talk about them too much coaches because obviously i don't have an insight into what they actually do but the proof the proof on the field um doesn't look too good for for Austin McPhee um i don't think no i, I would probably agree with you there i think <laughs> The thing for me is that it's it's is it more that you know is he shouting from the sidelines with a playbook saying you know like set piece Q three and the players know exactly what they're doing or is it that he says right you know try try these a couple of times throughout the match and the players kind of take it upon themselves to kind of go well, we'll try this one because. You know, there's so many times when you've got you've got a free kick and you think you know Coutinho stood over it and he could literally just pl- roll it across the box and and you know Douglas Lewis could have a crack at it you know something like that and it's never the case the ego takes over and and Coutinho you know tries to take it and fires it into the wall usually. Um, Coutinho over free kicks recently has been like watching Henry Lansby under Steve Bruce and that was the biggest <laughs> pet peeve of mine. Henry Lansbury taking free kicks. Um, either, either they hit the wall or they went over the bar. I don't think he ever got one on target. Um, no, not for us. <laughs> no, no. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. A couple of days before we signed him, he scored a free kick against us. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then never went to, to to score a free kick for us. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you know, 
there, there are things that you can see sitting at home watching Sky Sports and you kind of think, like, why hasn't Coutinho like, slipped Ramsey in there um, rather than taking the, the shot on goal and, you know, nothing coming of it. Um, and obviously we're in a position to be able to say that. Um, but, yeah, I think McPhee's uh, certainly an interesting topic of conversation. Um, I think I think, you know... A lot of a lot of people are probably a bit, bit, bit interested on actually how much he's earning and and whether he's actually worth his his weight in terms of what he's earning. Um, I saw someone on Twitter the other day say that uh, he's the uh, standing coach should Gerard get sacked, and I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's Aaron Danks, isn't it? I don't know. I wouldn't know. Possibly because he was there. It'd be it'll be one of the ones that aren't part of Gerard's Gerard's team as such won't it so yeah it could yeah. be Danks or uh, or Cutler could be Cutler if it's a uh, <laughs> longest serving but you know goal, goalkeeping coaches don't generally become managers yeah. and when they do they're not very good well, ones there was one one that might be going back to uh, to Wolverhampton that was uh, that, that did okay for the time he was there <laughs> though he's done the thesis yeah. Um, yeah I mean it, it'd be interesting won't it and you know going back to the atmosphere I, you know I, I, I did um you know, I was I was interested in 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 how it was going to play out, and I think what you said was right about the the the, the team. I think the team did put on um, a somewhat better, more more uh, entertaining performance than they have done certainly than they have done recently. Although the bar is very very low, um, but they they had some chances, and and the, like you say, Kepper was. Kepa was in incredible form, really, considering, you know, the, what, how he's been since he signed for Chelsea. He's he's really um, perhaps that little bit of uh, confidence that that Graham Potter's given him as 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 you know reinvigorated him. And this is what can happen when you when you change your manager, I suppose, um, if you get the right the right person in. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was nowhere near as as toxic or as as miserable I suppose it was just very, as, as I expected but it was just very very flat and, and um, you know it'll be interesting to see next weekend if, if nothing's happened in the meantime um, when Brentford arrive what, what the atmosphere is like particularly if uh, if, if it's not a, not a good performance but um, we're going to get on to um, on to someone you wanted to talk about um, the captain John McGinn and we sort of touched on this on this earlier in in the podcast um still still struggling for form you know 10 games into the season um he's really obviously he's 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 taken the the captaincy and I think he he takes that responsibility extremely seriously I think it's a great honor for him um but he is struggling um he's not the John McGinn that we know and love from certainly from the championship days but also you know um other 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 times under under Dean Smith as well since he's been in the Premier League um he's a he's certainly a much better player than than I think he's showing at the moment um he went off i think around 75 minutes and Coutinho came on uh to replace him um i think Gerard said last week that he's 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 kind of happy with John McGinn's endeavour and what he's doing off the ball um, and he's just as important to the team as, as when he's um, you know as, as what he would normally be doing on the ball 
but obviously he's, he's he's not performing well. He's he's giving the ball away quite a lot. He's he's getting caught in possession. Possession. Um, what's your what's your take on the McGinn situation, and, and what do you think has led to a lot of his difficulties? And can he be reinvigorated? I think you know. When was the last time John McGinn finished a a full ninety minutes of football? I think he's been taken off every game for the last like eight nine games. Um, it's got to be close to that at least. Um, I think. I think he was he was quite poor towards the end of last season, uh, and we saw that. And I think a lot of people were quite shocked when he was given the armband. Um, he's obviously a natural choice for the armband because of his connection with the fans and the affinity that fans have with him. Um, but I would never have painted him as as a leader. Um, and I think as as in as he's as he's played this season. He's probably not kind of captain quality in terms of that he deserves to be starting every game. Um, I think you said, you know, can he be reinvigorated? Potentially. Um, But you have to take a look at what what has led him to these difficulties. And you, you always see him playing for Scotland and think, you know, like he's not going to be playing in the same position or the same kind of style of play that he does for Scotland. But, um, you know, fans are always pointing over the Scottish John McGinn rather than the Villa John McGinn um, because he, he he's that kind of championship player again. He's running around with his with arms like a helicopter and stuff like that. He just seems so low on confidence in Claret and Blue at the moment. Um Despite the fact that you know the captain's armband should be filling him with confidence, I think, I think you know poor performances and being subbed off aren't helping with his situation, and I think you have to you have to treat him as Steven Gerrard. You have to treat him as the same way that you did with Minks. If you're if he's not performing well enough that he's he's being subbed off every game, then he needs to be dropped or he needs to have I wouldn't I wouldn't probably strip the captaincy off him because I think that's more more trouble than it's worth you know maybe if a new manager comes in they might decide to change the captaincy and I hope to god they don't give it back to Tyra Mings um, but you know drop him again for a game or two these next two games would be perfect for it because I mean, I don't want to say they're dead rubbers because as we've seen this season, it's it's not going to be the case. Um, but, you know, like it's dropping for these two games and let Dendonka start. We've just signed Dendonka. Give him give him a full 90. Um, I mean, I'd argue that Dendonka is more of a defensive midfielder than a natural centre mid. So let Louise play in McGinn's position and drop Dendonka to a CDM. Play two games with it, see what happens. We we may win, we may lose, we may draw. But you've kind of told John McGinn that this this isn't acceptable. You should be performing to a higher standard. Um, you need to book your ideas up. If then Donker performs well, McGinn has to work his way back into the squad. Doesn't matter that he's captain, and that should be the case. You know, like we've seen it with with um, when Southgate took over the England side. He said he wanted a team picked on on the performances and form not on merit and and on you know connections with him should be the case at every club across the country 
you know, Gerard needs to look and say, McGinn's not been up to scratch, he should be dropped. Um but I don't I don't see it happening, unfortunately. <laughs> and I think it might cost Gerard his job sooner than he expected it to. The, the problem with it is, is it, it does feel like um one of the the last knockings, doesn't it, of a managerial reign. Um certainly we had it with Dean Smith. Dean Smith dropped dropped Tyro Mings shortly before being sacked. You know, it's one of it's it's up there with changing the system to a three at the back and throwing all your strikers on at the end of a game, isn't it? It's it's desperation. It's it's a Hail Mary type of approach <laughs> that only happened in the in in the final days <laughs> in the final days of a manager because they're just they're just desperately trying trying everything. Um I actually remember when Dean Smith did it with Mings and I just I couldn't for the life of me understand why <laughs> what he was hoping to achieve I think it was against West Ham as well who absolutely wiped the floor with us that day um, to use a Gerard phrase um, but yeah I, it's, it's so difficult isn't it with McGinn because he is such a popular player and I don't want to see um, McGinn's Villa career kind of ebb away like this I want him to to go out with a bang when when I envisaged that when McGinn would leave the club would be, you know, someone big coming in and, you know, buying him for a a lot of money, you know. That's how I thought it would happen, not that he would just lose his place and, you know, end up just kind of maybe going out on loan or something like like Hurahan or or other players like that. You know, I thought it would be he'd go out with a bang, you know, and um, it's so disappointing. But how how much do you think is, is... due to perhaps the job he's being asked to do, maybe the system, uh, maybe the you know the manager's the manager's tactics is is that anything to do with it, or is it just out of form? I think it's a mixture of the two. I think I think a lot of managers have used McGinn. Well, not that we've had that many, but you know that, that people have used McGinn in in odd ways um, countless times. You know, we've seen him played as a defensive midfielder. We've seen him played on the left side of midfield, the right side of midfield. Um, we've seen him having to play right back at times, covering for you know marauding Matty Cash. <laughs> I think the best way to um, see John McGinn perform is to just let John McGinn play like John McGinn. Um, you know, I can't imagine Steve Bruce has got many many tactical uh, ideas that he's passing on to his players before a game and pr- yeah probably not a lot judging by the position that the baggies find themselves in at the moment um, but I think the best John McGinn that we've seen is under Steve Bruce um, when he's just running around like a crazed madman with his arse out and his arms swinging around like helicopter propellers that's when we see him again the best and you know we saw it under Dean Smith at times he he had a period in our first season where you know the first couple of games he was he was scoring for fun and he looked great um and then you know the 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 kind of free 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 flowing attacking football that you know you want to play regresses because you're then playing against Manchester City and John McGinn then has to be told what to do and play defensively and that's not necessarily his game he's quite good at specifics in terms of defense because of the way that he uses his body but i think you know i i, I feel like 
a lot of a lot of the time at the moment, Gerard's going to Ramsey and saying, you know, play your game, do what you want to do. Um, you know, like this is what we expect of you going forward. This is what we expect from you, from you going back. But just play your game. And I feel like that's the way that McGinn needs to be treated. But you can't do that for both Ramsey and McGinn because then <laughs> the midfield's even more like misbalanced than it already is. Yeah. No. You need you need the discipline, don't you? And certainly, you know, and. Maybe quite rightly, he, if if that is the case, he's 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 allowing uh, Jacob Ramsey that that freedom because Ramsey has, has shown that you know what a great source of goals he is. He's really good in in those areas, isn't he? And he needs to be encouraged to get into those areas. Um, you know, I thought he was good again. You know, at, at the weekend, and um, but yeah, I'd, I just wonder with McGinn. You mentioned there about the first season, and of course. That was the season he got injured as well, wasn't it? And he had he had a good sort of well, it it, it turned into about eight months, I think, didn't it? Because he no, was it or, or about six months um, in the end because of lockdown as well. And I just wonder whether he's really hit the heights since then on a consistent basis. No, definitely not. Um, I do think that injury took a fair bit out of him uh, in terms of you know, how he performs for Villa. But then again, you you look at how he plays for Scotland um, and it, it may just be, you know, you, you see it all the time. There are, there are players that perform exceptionally well for their country and do nothing at club level. Um, I'm not saying that McGinn does nothing at club level. He deserves a lot more respect than that. But I think, I, I don't know what it is, but I mean... In terms of dropping him, you've probably only got the option of Dendonka anyway. I mean, Sanson's nowhere to be seen. Um, I genuinely can't think of any other midfielders that we could put well, in the, the, <laughs> instead the of Lexus spotted Marvellous and the Camber, um, who, uh, who's, yeah. who's still there. And many, many people would say, and Craig made the point last week that you know the best form the best run of results we've had under Gerard involved Marvis Nakamba playing as playing as the the defensive midfielder and and allowing the likes of John McGinn and, and Ramsey that ability to you know to 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 break the lines and get forward the one thing that i really don't understand with Gerard and i think a lot of people have said the same thing is that he came in and he he played you know one or two games and it was very expansive and very, very quite scary to watch. And then we had uh, Manchester City and Liverpool in quick succession, and we played just you know simple, pragmatic, defensive kind of styled football. And we very nearly got something from both of those games. And we looked solid. We looked strong. Um, and Nakamba got injured, obviously, in that Liverpool game, um, and things kind of went went to the walls a little bit. But we were, people were saying, you know, we've lost this game, but it was close and it was, we were defensive, but we were exciting and it was, it was really great to see. And we played those two games and then he kind of went, oh, you know what, we're playing Watford next and went balls to the wall and completely forgot everything else that he'd been working on and then seemed to forget it forever after that. Um, if we were playing like what we did last, last season, um, you know, in those kind of winter period games, like we did under Gerard, if we were playing like that week in, week out, and we were grinding out results, draws, wins, whatever, or, you know, narrowly losing, but we had that sense of style that we had back then, I'd be happy. 
you know i mean i wouldn't be happy with where we are in the table at the moment but that that was a style that i could see us playing and i thought that was where we were going to go and it just completely disappeared and i don't know why yeah, absolutely i think that's that's part of the the issue isn't it and we'll we'll, we'll perhaps get on to to gerald in a bit but you know he 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 kind of gave us this this idea that you know stick with me till after pre-season you know that's when you'll see see what i'm all about and really if this is what he's all about in these first 10 games it's um you know we need to we need to have a rethink don't we i mean it's it's so interesting to think that you know everyone's saying like oh he'll sign a three and a half year contract and then you know Klopp's contract at Liverpool will be gone and he'll be off to Liverpool <laughs> absolutely not after no. this um, maybe as like an assistant manager maybe Fernando Torres will come in as manager or something instead because it certainly won't be Steven no, Gerrard it looks it looks very unlikely at this point but you never know um, in football. Um, but we're just gonna just gonna take a little break there, guys, um, and have a have a word from our our new sponsor, Manscaped. Now Stevie G is finding himself in a bit of a prickly situation, but you know what shouldn't find itself in a prickly situation? Your testicles. Support for Gather Round the Lamp is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels, and it's the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you. 20% off at checkout and free worldwide shipping with the code GATHER at manscaped.com. This brand new performance package has arrived in the UK and oh man is it a game changer. Inside the performance package 4.0 you'll find the Lawn Mower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Ball Deodorant, toner, boxer briefs and a travel bag to hold everything in. So not only can you keep your balls prickle free, but you can also keep your nose hairs and your ear hairs at bay too. Maybe you can keep those at bay, but I don't think Gerard's going to keep the sack at bay. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code gather at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Make sure you use the code gather Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And keep those balls prickle-free. Okay, well, welcome back to Gather Around the Lamp. Um, so we'll talk about the manager situation, Regan. Um, it's it's really now a huge week for Gerard. Fulham away on Thursday night, Brentford at home Sunday afternoon. Um Strong rumours this evening, just before we started recording, um, from Matt Law in the Telegraph that, that the club will be looking to approach uh, Maurizio Pochettino uh, to take over from Gerard if if the poor form continues and he and they do dispense with his services. Um, I'll, uh, I'll 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 keep my powder dry on that particular rumour. Um, but do you think the problems at the club are purely? down to the failure of of the manager to this point or are there are there further issues sort of higher up the club um in your in your opinion i think it's a bit of both i think um obviously you know we've seen all the the talk in the last week about perslow and, and gerald almost being symbiotic in the eyes of the villa faithful um i think that is the case in in a lot of in a, in a, in a lot of situations but 
I think you know the, you've got you've got the failure of the manager um, first and foremost that needs to be addressed. You need to replace that manager. I think there are issues higher up the club, um, which is a shame to say, really, because over the past couple of seasons we've seen you know such such great things off the pitch. Um, you know, we've seen that we've we've hired people for kind of roles that a lot of other Premier League clubs don't have. Um, you know, we've got the the things going on with the stadium and the inner city academy and things like that. Our, our academy's looking or was looking healthy until they uh, they sacked Delaney and things seem to have gone to pot a little bit there then. Um, but, you know, the Johan Langer, um, I'm not entirely sure what he's been doing in in his job at the moment. It seems like a lot of the transfers that were brought in um, January and, and during the summer aren't Langer signings, they're Gerard signings. Uh, the the role of a director of football should be a a play, to implement a playing style and a philosophy throughout the entire club. Um, you know, ideally. That's you want someone that's kind of matching um, a director of football and a manager together, and they have a long-lasting relationship and work together for you know a decade, and then you get you know exciting football and players coming through a system that are ready to to play Premier League football or at least go on loan to like the Championship or something. Um, the same with Langer as as uh, Rob McKenzie. I don't even know if he's still employed by the club, but he. You know, we we had this exciting transfer guru who came from Leicester and discovered Riyad Mahrez and and Golo Kante, and that that was meant to be our remit in terms of transfers. It was discovering play. I mean, you know, we, we've probably made profit on a couple of players. Should we sell them? Douglas Louise will probably sell for a profit because I'm sure he's got a healthy release clause in that contract he's just signed. But um, you know where where are those players? Where are the Cantes, the Mahrezes? They obviously are one in a million players, but they do exist out there. Um, a lot of football manager players will will sit there and tell you that there's players that uh, you know. The, for example, there's a striker off the top of my head called like Rasmus Hoyland, I think, uh, and he's supposed to be the next Haaland, even though Haaland's only just come out of the cryogenic chamber himself. Um, but he's moved from um, Denmark to Austria to Atalanta, I think, in the space of like two windows. Um, and he's meant to be like the next big striker, and he's this big kind of like you know brute forward that is all the all the rage at the moment. So why aren't our transfer gurus in Langer and McKenzie seeking out these players and and signing them? Um, you know we've signed players like Ben Crisen and uh, Sil Swinkles and and Lamar Bogard for the youth teams, but where are these players that are like you know twenty one twenty two signing for the senior teams? And then we can sell to the likes of Chelsea for sixty seventy million and fund more transfer business in the future. Where are those players? Um, <laughs> and then I'm going on a rant here. Um, above above there, you've got Perslow. Um, and, you know, he, he has issues that need to be addressed. I think the hiring of Gerard and a lot of people think the same probably, was a vanity project. It was to kind of say, like, mm, this is my mate. I think he can do it. Um, 
the book stops with me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I think he convinced the, the owners that it was the right decision to make. Um, the thing that worries me about Perslow is that he's uh, a minority owner of the club. Um, and that, that does worry me because it's not quite as easy to just kind of sack someone when they own a part of the club uh, or it's not as easy for someone to think that they might resign or step away when they own a part of the club because that's not in their best interest and that is something that worries me and I think if, if the club was to go in a, a negative direction um, i.e. relegation um, I think a lot of the blame could be possibly pointed towards that man Um Without a, the fear of a lawsuit coming my <laughs> yeah. way. No, no, I mean, it's just an opinion, isn't it? And ultimately, I think we have to, like you say, we have to temper it with the fact that undoubtedly since the owners and Perslow came in, there's been a, a huge upturn in, in in the club generally and, and things that have happened. You know, obviously, you you know, you'll, you'll be um, well aware of, of the... The, the rise and rise of the of the Villa women's team. I mean, it's just it's it's just um, from two or three years ago when 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 you and Mark were doing the the Villa women's uh, podcast. It was it's it's unrecognisable, isn't it? That team, you know, they they really have gone from strength to strength, and they're buying England players now, which is which is unthinkable, Absolutely. isn't it? And you know, they've they've. Perslow's a big part of that because he's champ he's championed that 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 part of the club and quite rightly and it's it's paying paying dividends now, um, but yeah and he, he, there there are undoubtedly lots of lots of really good things that that he has brought to the club um, and I, I I think we're away 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 from him necessarily having to having to leave the club but I certainly think he'll have to answer for this particular appointment and. Um, the fact that there are those links to him um, from the past and, and and so on doesn't help his case really. Um, there doesn't seem to have really been much of a process um, in terms of you know appointing the manager, um, which is how it tends to work in football. But it's it's basically given him, given Gerard the the job, hasn't he? Without going through a, the process that they said they were going through, perhaps, but. Um, I don't know that for definite. That's that's just the impression I get, you know. So um, there are problems there, but I think ultimately we just have to put this one down to a bad appointment, don't we? I think it just has been has been a, a really a really a bad idea. It's not. It could have worked really well, but it was more kind of. It would have been more luck than judgment. I think. Yeah, I mean, like, you see a lot of managers kind of taking jobs and you you kind of feel like they're the perfect fit for that job. Like, when Conte first took over at Spurs, you kind of thought, like, that's that's a good appointment for Spurs, but that's a good job for Conte. Um, and then, you know, you look at some and you're like, well, what's going on here Like with Ancelotti and Everton? Um and I think that would be the case with any of the, the touted replacements for us, where you're kind of looking at them and going, well, what's going on here then? If, uh, you know, any of the names that we've been linked with um, took over at Villa. But, you know, that wasn't the case with Gerard. It wasn't a case of that's a good appointment for Villa or that's, uh, you know, interesting because he's he's bigger than the club. But it, 
it was very much a sense of intrigue like what can he do is he actually good enough um you know what has he actually achieved to get a job this big and i think we've seen that the job was like many others before him too big for him mm. yeah i think that's the problem and we can point to the the coach's situation as well and it does seem strange quite often when you you know an awful lot has been made of of Mick Beale leaving the club and Critchley coming in and that change but you know I know I know backroom teams are vitally important and I think Dean Smith suffered from having um, having uh, John Terry and so on leave just before the start of the season who he heavily relied on um, but should it make that much difference really if you've if you've got the right manager um, that should be the the main thing and managers do change their coaching teams you know that's that's the nature of the game yeah I mean there's been all this talk hasn't there about Gerard not being the the tactics man or anything like that he's just the face of it all isn't he um and I mean it's quite interesting that you know if you think Gerald isn't the tactics man that you bring in Critchley as a number two whose whose tactics are very wide man focused and then you, you sell you know Trezeguet and El Ghazi and leave yourself with one natural winger at the club. Um, I mean, if if someone's made the decision to hire Gerard on the basis of his coaching staff. That's a very, very, very poor decision, isn't oh, it? Absolutely, yeah. Because they, as we've seen, they they can go and someone like Mick Beale, who is massively regarded and has been off, had been offered um, championship jobs previously. I think Cardiff and you know one or two others he's been offered. Um, he was very much sought out after after as a as a number one, and um, he was going to go. <laughs> there was just no doubt about it. He was going to leave and. Um, that was probably obvious from day one. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we went with it and I guess um, I was less concerned about it than, than a lot of people, but I think I've been, I've been proved wrong on that. I think it, I think it was, uh, you know, it was catastrophic. I think it's been, it's proved it's been catastrophic since he left. Yeah. I mean, we weren't doing exceptionally well while he was here, but, you know we're doing significantly worse now he's not and it says a lot about how how well QPR have been doing um recently and you know the football they're playing looks looks good and he's been linked with the vacant wolves job um within the last couple of days you know that says a lot about him as as a coach um maybe you know maybe you'll we'll see Gerald get the sack and and Mick Beale come in <laughs> and uh he'll come full circle yeah, maybe. who who knows we'll see We'll see, but it is a huge week now coming up. Um, Fulham and Brentford, obviously, as I said. Um, we're now 10 games in, 16th place, nine points and only seven goals scored, just one point above the relegation zone. Um, and this is all after a relatively favourable start in terms of fixtures. Um, and, you know, it will again probably become become more difficult after these two games as as we sort of sort of start to see Man United and uh, and Newcastle turning up before before the World Cup. Um these are certainly winnable games, but poor results really could Villa could leave Villa facing a, a struggle really to move away from 
the bottom of the table over the rest of the season. It feels like we're in that relegation um, conversation, if not the dogfight um, at this stage. How would you you be approaching these games? You know, starting with the Fulham game, and and and, and what is the uh, what is the minimum really that Gerard needs to survive to survive the week? There needs to be at least three points in the week for him to survive a minimum. Um, ideally, you'd say he'd get six points from these games, but a minimum of three, he might still be in a job. Um, any less than that, and he's gone, I think. Um, I don't know how I'd approach this game because I don't think Gerard knows how to approach the games, and I think that's going to be his downfall. Um <sighs> I mean, I mean the key the key thing for me at the moment is is I'm not getting too worried about the thought of like relegation or anything like that because this is a a, a significantly different se- uh, season to any that we've seen before. We've got this kind of break slap bang in the middle, and it's very likely. I mean, I mean, look at Newcastle last season that they, they were they hadn't won a game in however long Eddie Howe comes in and they were flying. Um, they ended up finishing higher than us, like you know. Um, so we've got this kind of break slap bang in the middle and we could be rock bottom by, you know, I, I highly doubt it, but we could be rock bottom by the time the World Cup starts and I still wouldn't be too fearful of relegation because I would imagine that Gerard would have been sacked, a replacement would have come in um, and we'll kind of have a second half of the season to... to redeem ourselves under a new manager and then hopefully that would kickstart the next season um but i think yeah i think i think three points is the minimum um that he needs to keep his job and i don't think he'll get it yeah it's 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 hard to see isn't it and you sort of you look at fulham and brentford and you think well these these should be winnable games we should be going into this week thinking you know, this this should be a, a really profitable week for us in terms of points. Um, but because we can't score goals, um, obviously Brentford have, have Ivan Tony, who's always good for a goal, um, you know, almost certain to score against us. Um, I'm not sure whether Mitrovic is, is fit for Fulham, but if, if he is, you know, he's a real worry, um, you know, for, for them as well. And we've got we've got no response to that. We 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 can't score even. You know, on Sunday, having created some really good chances, probably that you know the the most we have in in a number of games, just couldn't put the ball in the net. And that's with Watkins, Ings, Bailey, Coutinho, and Buendia all all playing in that game. So. Um, it's just really hard to see. It's really hard to see where we, how we drag ourselves up and and get the confidence to go and to go and particularly Fulham, particularly Fulham away. I just think they will smell blood. They they will have by next to this one, um, Silver will have three points in 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 black marker pen <laughs> next to the next to Aston Villa on the fixture list. Absolutely no doubt about it. They will be supremely confident. Um, and I, as much as Craven Cottage is a wonderful place, <laughs> and it's a, it's a great away day um, for the Villa fans that are going, 
I never expect to go there and win. Never. No, I mean, like you said, yeah, it's it's. I think that's going to be the case for a lot of teams at the moment. They're going to kind of be looking, looking at the fixture list and seeing Aston Villa and licking their lips and thinking that's a club that is does not know who who they are at the moment or what they are. Um, and I think a lot of clubs are saying that's where, especially if they're around us in the table, that's they're looking at it and going, that's where our next three points is coming yeah. from. Um, which obviously is is a massive shame at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think Brentford is, is 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 difficult for a lot of reasons. Well, we never beat them either, do we? Have we ever beat? I've never known us beat Brentford. <laughs> I don't think we have. I can't remember. We might we might have done once, maybe a friendly. Or I, I might be just dreaming <laughs> that. That might that might be. Yeah, it might be one of those off season friendlies for the second yeah. team. Um, I know we drew and lost and drew and lost load in the championship. Um, we definitely never beat them in the championship. We might have beaten them once in the Premier League. I can't remember. I can't quite recall you know it. What? I don't think we have because I think they only came up last season. We drew, we drew at Villa Park and they they beat us. We took the lead at their place, but they did beat us two um, one, didn't they? And that was an awful performance as well. And uh, oh dear, I'm depressing myself here, Reg. <laughs> do you want to do you want to try and give me a prediction for for both games? Um, not so much prediction, but this is what I think is going to happen uh, in my heart of hearts. Um, in the entire situation, I think we're going to draw nil-nil against Fulham, um, despite having countless attempts. Um, and I think Gerald will get the sack on the Friday morning. And then I think we'll go... And play against Brentford with like Aaron Danks in charge or something like that, and we'll we'll sneak a one nil win, and then you know you'll have all these these betting odds, and it'll be like Pochettino and Tuchel and whoever else, and Aaron Danks will be up there as a favourite because he's won one game. Um, but that's what I think is going to happen. Whether it will happen is another story. But yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go nil nil uh, against Fulham. Uh, Gerard to get the sack after that game and then uh, a cheeky 1-0 win against Brentford yeah see I think he's got these two games I mean it's interesting you get a link to someone like Pochettino and you think well if if Pochettino is an option is a genuine option then why what are we waiting for yeah you know waiting for the the, the okay from him maybe or or whatever, but if that was a if that was a genuine um, a genuine option, you wouldn't be giving Gerard any games, would you? You would make that change immediately. No. Um, so really, if that is the case, it doesn't really matter what Gerard does um, in the next two games. Um, having said that, it's it's really hard to see um, where the where the goals are coming from or where any wins are coming from. Um, I, I'm like you. I think Brentford's our best opportunity of getting getting anything. Um, you know, so I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw and a 2-1 win on on Sunday against Brentford. But I, I'm not confident at all. I think it's going to be, it's going to be a very nervy couple of games. And um, I think ultimately... Um, I imagine this time next week we'll be uh, we'll be discussing who's next. 
<laughs> yeah, more than like I mean, like it says a lot that Brentford have. It's come out today that Brentford are looking at, at giving Frank a new contract, and I would probably, I would probably put that down to us sniffing around him. I think, I think, I think our owners and personally have probably got the feelers out there, and I think they've probably sniffed around Frank and Brentford have caught wind and said, right, we'll offer him a new contract. Um, obviously, the Pochettino article came out earlier. Um, the, the the big thing for me is with with managers of that caliber. I mean, he's not necessarily done anything special, too special. In, in the game, you know, he reached Champions League final. He's managed uh, some some big, big egos. But other than that, I wouldn't really say he's, you know, a, a, a kind of pedigree manager. Um, I'd say Tuchel is, he's, you know, far a far better option. But like with managers like that, why, why would they come to Aston Villa? Yes, we're a club with a lot of history. Um, we're a big club in the grand scheme of things. But... You know, we can offer them a lot of money too. Um, but you know, like the the news article says that our owners are willing to move heaven and earth for Pochettino. But you know, who says that's going to make him come? Like, you know, no. if I was a manager of that cal- caliber, um, would I want to, you know, go to a club of Villa stature? Currently, not in the grand scheme of football, but currently, you know, a team that's sat just outside the relegation zone with a squad that doesn't know how to play football properly. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd probably rather break my legs. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think they will take some convincing. I certainly think Tuchel. Like you say, I think Tuchel is 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 in the stratosphere of uh, European club managers, and he'll he'll have his pick of the. The next Champions League jobs that become available, Pochettino would re- probably regard himself in a similar, in a similar way. Um, it's just what they it's it's just what they want, I suppose. And you know, there's always the danger that agents use Villa as a bit of a stalking horse to to draw out other teams. And you know, Juventus and Barcelona. There's probably countless big clubs around Europe in the Champions League that would that will be looking for new managers at some point um, in the next twelve months. So, you know that it, it may be a story like this gives them the hurry up. You know, if you want this man, you have to act, act quick and uh, make your decisions. But um, we'll wait and see. I still think Brendan Rodgers is the, is the most likely <laughs> option, um, which I think he would get. I think he would get that attack purring, and I think he would he would. He would he would be an, a really excellent choice. It's just perhaps not a popular choice because he he probably has the similar links to um, to Perslow that Gerard does as well. So you know, but we'll we'll see we'll see on that one. We'll see on that one. Um, yeah, what I happens. mean, I mean, if if Ancelotti can go to Everton, anything can happen in football. Um, I think a lot of people didn't expect that to happen in you know a thousand seasons of football. Never mind the one that it did actually happen in um, but you know we could see someone of that calibre come in we could see Olof Melberg return as you know <laughs> fan favourite returning as manager actually someone that used to play for the club maybe it'll be John Terry's turn after he's been waiting for so long um, <laughs> but yeah I, I think I think at the moment a lot of people think anything would be better than Gerard. Yeah, I think uh, that seems to be the the prevailing feeling. Um, but Regan, 
thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure um, to meet up again and um, and go through things. So th- thanks for that. It's uh, it's been great, and thanks to everyone for listening. Um, remember that you can now use our our code, which is Gather for 20% off and free shipping of all your Manscaped products. So head over to the website, um, fill your basket and use the code GATHER um, for for that 20% off. Um, Also, obviously, head over to to our socials, keep in touch with everything on on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook um, and also the website under agaslitlamp.com. Go and check that out. Um, maybe there'll be some new stuff up soon. Maybe <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> maybe depends if Gerard's gone or not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, keep 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 on top of that. Um, and other than that, we'll be back next week to to look back on 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 the Fulham and Brentford game and and dissect everything that's going on at the club. So until then, stay safe and up the villa. <laughs>